You don't know what you have until it's gone. Through loss, I, Kimberly, host of Self Love Sister Podcast, am learning to live. From the age of eight, I suffered from multiple autoimmune diseases which took my capacity to walk and even to speak. As these abilities gradually returned, I found a deep gratitude for this delicate and wonderful life. The fact that I may suffer a relapse at any time pushes me to appreciate all the more the wonder of living here and now. Through sharing my experiences and through interviewing others, I invite listeners to experience their own gratitude for life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Self Love Sister podcast. Today, I'm joined with Joe. How are you, Joe? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. We first connected over on TikTok. So, Joe, please mention a little bit about yourself. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I'm a, I am an actor. I am 33. I uh, was born uh, HIV positive and disabled. So, a little bit of my situation is uh, in 1990, I was diagnosed uh, as an infant that I was uh, HIV positive, which was affecting my neurological system, which caused what is essentially a mimic of cerebral palsy. So the closest physical diagnosis that I've been able to be given is cerebral palsy. Um, That's what it most appears like, most uh, reacts like. And uh, since then I've been on every HIV trial and gone through physical therapy. I went from uh, being confined to a wheelchair, to a walker, to crutches to a cane now I utilize my crutches a little more because now it's just age and I'm getting there <laughs> in my, in my lower back you know but yeah I work as an actor and a writer in the industry in the film industry in California and I've been doing that since I was about 19. That's so exciting and I've honestly I've never heard of HIV positive since infant how did they come up with that? So essentially what had happened was when I was born, I was born a twin and we were both uh, very sick and we weren't getting any better. We were having some physical issues and other health issues. And they had run every test imaginable on us except HIV, because at that time in 1989, 1990, um, my mom, who was a heterosexual, Caucasian, middle class woman, was not the target demographic for HIV. So they didn't run that test. Um, When they finally did and it came back positive, um, my father had openly admitted that he had cheated on my mom. So he had cheated on my mom, uh, transmitted or contracted HIV and then gave it to her and we were born HIV positive. Um, Because at that time, protection and how it was being transmitted was still very unknown and it was stigmatized. It was, you know, at one point it was called GRID, gay-related immune disease. It was a whole different world. <laughs> oh, um, wow. That's crazy. I mean, I have I have very little knowledge of that and I'm fascinated always by new illnesses, new diseases, but I just didn't know that could be a disease that could happen at such a young age. Yes. And it's not uncommon. You can get HIV through blood transfusions. You can get it. um, You can pass it on to um, child. You can um, get it through needles. It's not 
purely just a like an adult sexual relation <laughs> yeah. way of getting HIV. Yeah. But now, but now it's important to say uh-huh. that that statistic for infants born HIV positive, at least in the U.S., mm-hmm. is gone down significantly uh, because of things like um, our, how our HIV medications, how far they've come. And we've learned that if you're on medication and your viral load, which is the trace of the virus in your body, is undetectable, mm-hmm. that then you cannot transmit HIV to your partner or to a child. So the, oh, okay. the key term is U equals U, mm-hmm. which is undetected equals untransmittable. Oh. So that is a big thing in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and PrEP, which you could be on, which is a form of prevention for HIV. So if your partner is HIV positive, you can take medication, which will boost your immune system, uh, helping protect you against potential exposure. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you for that. Um, Now, is there currently a cure or is it just treatments? Uh, Right now, it's treatments. We're getting closer and closer to the cure. Actually, a lot of what happened with COVID over the last two and a half, three years has helped. I mean, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, but it has helped create this kind of boost in getting closer to that that cure because Mm -hmm. a lot of what they're utilizing with the... um, with a lot of like the Moderna and Pfizer and their medications is they're using a medication that is traditional in HIV. So one of the like components that they're, they're pairing with this new medication is something that I take daily um, <laughs> is Norvir. Uh-huh. And so it's just so interesting that they've figured out that combining Norvir with like um, one of the Moderna Pfizer uh, has like a significant boost and chance to potentially um, cure HIV, but we're not there yet. So right now it's just treatment. Okay. Okay. I like how you said that we're not there yet, because that just gives a sense of hope that, you know, one day, hopefully, you know, in the near future, there could be a cure. Yes. But I think it's also important to recognize that where we're at is, is manageable and it's just about education. You know, Mm -hmm. the tools of education is the best tool you can possibly have. And so knowing that if you're on medication um, right now, again, in the U.S., I want to stress that because we have access to certain things that sometimes aren't available or um, programs that aren't always available. Um, But in the U.S., uh, if you're on medication, you can live a healthy life. Um, HIV is not a death sentence anymore. Um, It doesn't have to be. But what we run into the risk and the issue is because it's gotten to a point where it's not a death sentence, mm-hmm. it's also not being talked about as much, meaning that the education on it has gone to the back burner because mm-hmm. now we're just under assumptions. So younger generations that are coming up are thinking of it almost too casually mm-hmm. and not recognizing the history of what it means. It can still be very dangerous if you're not provided the tools and education to handle that. I love that. And I love how you also said it's a lack of education. And that's what your TikTok talks about a lot. Like I, I've been following you for a while. And, and I love I love your videos because you make it like you're educational, yet you also have that comedy side of it. And you show that it's not, you know, it's not like you said, a death sentence. It's always something right. that you can continue to live an right. average life. 
Yeah, and I mean, I try to do, the, the reason I do the education mix with comedy is mm -hmm. because if you can laugh at something, you're more likely to remember it. Um, and you're more likely to welcome it in as new information. I've, I've been doing this for a long time. I did public speaking events, but I did a documentary on my story and my life. I would go tour across the country with it and do these Q and A's. And I always found that if you approach people with comedy, with humor, with something else, first before you get into the specifics they're way more welcoming than if you're like okay I'm going to sit you down and we're going to have a serious conversation today and it's going to be really boring and you're going to feel really bad about yourself do you want to learn they'll be like I'm good I'll, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll do something else but if you try to make a sketch about it and you know you bring up the jokes that you it, it helps people calm them and let them into the information a lot more easily. Um, they don't feel so stressed about it or about saying the wrong thing or asking the wrong question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I will say that's specifically like, you sh you were so open to me because when we had scheduled our pre-interview, I was like, I don't wanna offend you. I don't wanna ask the wrong questions. And you were like, no, I've heard everything. <laughs> There's nothing I will, I will provide you a financial compensation if you manage to figure out a way to offend <laughs> me at this point in my life. I've heard everything under the sun. And I'm, I'm also very much about, you know, if you tell people or if you shame people in asking something, um, within reason, of course, but if you shame people within, that are asking a question because they're worried about offending, then that's one less person that's gonna learn in the world and that's one less person that's going to want to learn and providing an environment where people can ask questions even if they feel they're a little silly is just going to make one less person you know ignorant yeah i i love the way you worded that there is a fine line we have to be mm -hmm. careful too because we're not we don't have to be the world's teachers yeah you know that that's a big weight to put on any individual shoulders um we should also encourage self-education but like in the instance for me, like I love small kids and I love, little, you know, children because they're so innocent in their questions. And I love answering them mm -hmm. because th those like uh, curious kids can grow up into knowledgeable adults who don't shy away from smiling at somebody or nodding to somebody with a disability or mm -hmm. with something that is different than them. Yes. That's and they're right. so, I mean, they're, they're happy with any answer. They'll be like, why is, why is he have a cane? And they're like, oh, well, it's hard for him to walk. Okay. Can we go get that cereal? I like, <laughs> like that's all they, they don't need a big explanation. Yeah. Just give them the fast summary. Mm -hmm. So, so I also, I love how you mentioned that you were an actor. So tell us about that journey. Yeah. So, um, I started acting when I was 16. Um, I started in, in school, in high school, um, I actually wanted to get into auto mechanics and my principal, the person who was helping me like get my, my classes scheduled at that time, I just transferred was like, Oh, disabled kid, automotives, big mechanical stuff, kind of dangerous. Let's not let you do that. We're just going to throw you in theater. And I was like, all right, well, I like film and TV. I was a latchkey kid. I grew up on television. That's all I watched and consumed. So I started theater and I fell in love with it. Um, I started doing summer camps and working with a company that was touring and doing different camps at different states. And they really helped nurture that for me. I remember one time I was playing a character that was supposed to be a dog trapped in a man's body. 
Mm-hmm. And so the whole time he was supposed to be on all fours, acting like a dog, who was just learning how to be a human. And so we did the whole play. And this woman comes up to me at the end of the play. And she, she says, you know, I just wanted to say, one, I saw you in last year's production. You were really wonderful. Two, I didn't realize that you were disabled because you were just doing a character that was on all fours and you were just in it. And I, hearing that, hearing that somebody could finally see the character and the person first as opposed to the disability changed everything for me and I was like this is what I'm going to do with my life and um, I had still not been out about being HIV positive at that time and I was doing camps where if you've ever done theater it's like uh, therapy Mm -hmm. and one of the things they asked everyone to do was go on stage and tell the people in the audience that your peers other students something you've never told anyone before And I was 17. I was like, you know, I've been holding on to this, my status, my HIV. I haven't talked about it because, you know, kids were getting protested against when I was in middle school and elementary school. Kids were being thrown out of school for being HIV positive because parents were worried about their own kids being mingling with kids who were HIV positive and that they were a health risk and all these things. So I had kept it secret. And I finally just said, I'm going to take control of my life. And I got up on stage and I said, my name is Joseph Kibler and I'm HIV positive. And the weight of relief that happened and the acceptance I got from that, it gave me life. And so I decided to give my life to theater and give my life to acting. And when I graduated high school, I moved to California from Florida. I'm originally from New York, but I was living in Florida as a teenager. I packed up everything with two of my friends and we drove across the country. We had um, the people who ran the theater camp gave us a place to stay because they were based in California. Mm -hmm. And so they gave us a couch to crash on for a week until we found a job and a house or apartment. Mm -hmm. And we just went after it. And then I, since I've been out here, um, I sent every kind of weird audition to (laughs) short films, to student films, to then going into film school, getting my degree in production design uh, and producing Mm -hmm. and casting. I did uh, junior management and management for a little while. And then I went back to acting in my mid twenties and really just stuck with it and started getting my first co-stars and guest stars. I did shows like CSI Cyber, Chicago Med, Criminal Minds, Good Trouble. And then I started booking national commercials and, and ever since then, and I've been working now as a, my whole career is acting. I live off of my acting. And uh, I'm a writer and I write feature films and I have a few of those that are in development. I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. And they saw you first and then your disability. I love how you talked about that because even though I'm like, for me, like I share all my stuff, I still want them to know, like, I'm still Kimberly, you know? Yeah. I don't want to be known as just my disability. Right. Right. And it's hard not to, I mean, it, it happens so often, you know, especially where representation, even within social structures, not on media, but in life, mm-hmm. um, it's very rare to be in groups. I mean, nowadays it's so much better because we have this connection with the internet and TikTok and finding our community. But when we were just all in our little small towns, it was very rare to be like more than one disabled person in a, in a social yeah. group. You end up being the disabled person in, mm-hmm. in the friend group just like everyone, every, any POC or minority or diversity, it was very rare when, like, before we had that 
connection to be able to create our own social groups. When you're, you know, unless you lived in a big city that was actually diverse, you ended up being often the token of whatever that group was that was usually primarily white for me. Yeah, so I have scleroderma right now. It's an APS. But for me, I'm I'm Mexican. My parents are Mexican. I was born in California. But, you know, growing up, I used to hide my autoimmune disease because I didn't want anyone to know that I was sick, especially in like the Hispanic community, like the Latin community. It's very hard. You don't hear of autoimmune diseases at all. So after I had the stroke, I said, you know what? I was giving a second chance. I'm going to use my voice. And that's what I've been doing ever since. But that's specifically why I named my podcast Self-Love Sister, because I think self-love can target anyone and it should. I don't think yeah. it's a, I don't think it's selfish. I think it's just something that everyone needs to do for their own well-being. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and it's important. And, it, it, you know, I always like to think of the world as like the world sees you as you see yourself. And so often we forget we have control of that. And so we don't also realize that we're projecting a lot of what we feel about ourselves. And if we're not in love with ourselves and if we're not secure in ourselves and confident in ourselves, um, the world isn't going to see us that way because we're constantly in everything we do, whether we realize it or not, in every action, we're proving that. Um, it's that you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. When, you want, when you're negative, negative things are going to happen because you're just waiting and seeking them out and you're only noticing the negative things. It's like hitting your knee on something. Well, throughout the rest of the day, guess what? Suddenly you're going to hit your knee on everything. Yes. Uh, and that's how we are with our personalities and our emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, you made something like relatable so that other people can understand. And that's what I love about you and your videos. You're very informative, you know, and you don't shy away from anything. Well, no, I mean, and it's good to try different things. And, you know, my goal, even as a writer, um, my goal has always been to tackle difficult subjects in a very mainstream way mm -hmm. that is digestible for anyone to come in and not feel like they have to have a degree or be a part of the community to get it. Because the people who are, who do have that degree and who are part of the community understand it. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get new people. And sometimes when you have to get new people, you have to do it with kindness. You have to do it with a understanding of looking outside yourself and what someone else might deem as an innocent gesture or not even realize is, is awkward or uncomfortable. Um, you have to find a way to share that without, you know, I never like, I try rarely, unless it's really, really warranted. I try rarely to beat down on somebody or attack somebody, even when I get comments on TikTok, even when they come off as rude or they might be ignorant or they might have hate within them. Mm -hmm. um, there's enough people in the world and enough people on TikTok that will make a whole profile and will create a whole character and account based on just attacking the commenters. Yeah. And that's not been me. That's never been me in person. That's not gonna be me on social media because that that's out there. We don't you can accidentally find that every day you're scrolling on TikTok. Yeah. What you don't find is somebody who's willing to, to take a comment, like the ones I've gotten where they're like, you know, you did this to yourself. Well, too bad you're HIV positive. You should have been safer. And instead of being like, you don't know, you don't understand me. And, you know, you're an idiot and, and scolding them to take a moment, take a breath, 
look them in the eye or try to look at them in the eye and say, you know, you don't have to be this way. And I accept you for this comment. And I'm going to kind of explain to you calmly why that is incorrect. But there's no reason to hate back because that hate is not going to get anywhere. You're just going to, it's in a vacuum. It doesn't grow beyond that conversation. It doesn't help anyone. Yeah. I've always been one that says like, if you're, if you're mean to someone you speak, that speaks more about you um, and the way you portray it than the mean Mm -hmm. person. And also like be kind because like, you never know what someone else is going through. So maybe those hate comments are because like they're going through something. I don't know. (laughs) That's always the way I chose to see it. Emotions and hate and and people's lives are one thing I always try to metaphor I like a lot that Mm -hmm. I've tried to figure out over time a little better each time I say it. But um, people are like a bad parking spot. You know, you go into a grocery store, you try to go find your spot and you see somebody and they're over the line, like crazy and they're angled weird. And you just can't help but be like, why did you do that? How did you get there like that? Why would you do that? And then you have to park next to them and you're parked all off and weird and you're just angry at them and you're frustrated and you go inside. And then when you come out, that car is gone and there's someone looking at your car and they're like, why did you park so weird? Why did you park so crazy? What's wrong with you? And you can't explain to them that, well, that was because of somebody else. And we're just in this cycle of someone's bad parking spot, letting it take over our bad parking spot. And we're not recognizing that we don't know the before and after of that situation. Sometimes, yeah, people park bad, but sometimes they have a reason for it. I love that. And you explained that so perfectly. Now, going back to um, how you said you were an actor, have you encountered like any mean stories because you're an actor with a disability? Yeah. So um, what I often get, the biggest thing, I guess, if I could boil that experience down Mm -hmm. is um, the narrative of people who don't understand why disabled actors are fighting for representation on film so hard or don't understand why we get upset when there is an able-bodied actor portraying disabled. Um, And they think it's just a matter of like, well, acting is acting. And so if you're an actor, you should be able to act disabled. It's part of the role. And while I understand where that is coming from, what that is negating is that disabled actors on a whole are rarely brought in for anything that isn't disabled focused. Um, it takes us a lot to get into a room for someone where it's um, a role of a cashier or just lawyer or a non-disabled kind of character. So what we run into is we're not only not getting those able quote unquote body roles, we're not up for them. We're also then having to share the roles that we do get with able-bodied actors who are being pushed ahead of us because they have credits or because they have a name because they're getting pushed. Mm-hmm. You know, the big narrative I always get or every time my manager or my agent will call and be like, they almost went with you, but they wanted a name or they, they're you know, like, oh, he's an unknown. It's like, well, how you create knowns is by providing them the jobs yeah. to be known. That's mm-hmm. just it. That's the part of it. So if we continuously say, oh, well, they're not known, they're never going to get known. And so I think that's the, the biggest thing. Um, we've come so far and we're getting more representation. However, even when we do, it's still a lot of roles that are, you know, I used to call them um, on a very special episode. 
So these would be like roles that I would go in for years ago would be like on a very special episode. We're going to talk about disabilities. So it was characters that were solely there because their wheelchair or because their disability was involved and they would not be a part of the story if it wasn't for that. Um, like I did a lot of war vets, the amount of war vets that I've gone in for, um, I could make an entire film based off of just the audition sides that you would get, which was just the audition template, like, like, um, what to do for the day. But, um, that's like a, a big thing that's changing is getting characters that are now like fully developed human beings that have life outside of their disability. Yes, and that's very hard, especially, you know, going into an industry that is so it's so filled with able-bodied. I, I can imagine that it's very hard for, as someone who is disabled to go into that platform. And, you know, it, I find it crazy because at least for me, I've been, um, I could say I've been acting my whole life, you know, acting as an able-bodied person. But right. again, that's just that's just me. I'm just being funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. But that is, I mean, it's, we are constantly being performative to ease people mm-hmm. um, or to, you know, protect ourselves. Yes, that's that's so true. Going back, what's something that you wish that you could tell someone who's just recently diagnosed with HIV? One, that it's not a death sentence, um, that HIV is just a word. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you're taking medication, um, you'll be okay. And honestly, finding acceptance for yourself, you know, everyone's disclosure is their own journey. You can't tell someone like, oh, just share it. Just talk about it. It's okay. That's not how life works. We have to find it on our own. Um, But for me, it's been the greatest filter uh, in that when I have shared and I've gotten to a point where I share it so easily I don't think about it twice but if I find somebody that's not accepting of it that's just one person that doesn't need to be in my life Mm -hmm. and therefore all I'm doing is filtering out all the bad and keeping all the good people that I do want there and you don't want somebody who doesn't want you or accept you so why waste any more thought on losing that person um, they were never meant to be in your life. I just got chose because I can relate to that so much. A lot of people like to call overnight success and that really doesn't exist unless you have a crazy amount of connections and some nepotism. Otherwise, overnight success doesn't exist. You just have to wait it out and mm-hmm. be here enough. And the reason you don't know someone's name until you know their name is because that's how that industry works. Like someone seems like an overnight success because suddenly oh, wow, they're everywhere, but you don't get to see the 14, 15 years of, of weird student films and short films and things you'll never <laughs> see. And that's how it is with life. If you think about it, like someone yeah. may just see and they're like, oh, she just started. She's so powerful. But no one has seen like the amount of work that you've had to overcome and be courageous enough to share your story. I, um, I went to uh, a award ceremony once because I was uh, being honored to get the Christopher Reeve um, scholarship for disability, which was mm-hmm. like an actor's scholarship to help, you know, um, up and coming actors get on their feet. And at the ceremony, we, there was a uh, Noah Hawley was there, who's the writer of the series Fargo, among a lot of other things, really amazing filmmaker. And he created, he talked about this story, another metaphor, 
but he talked about the story about Hollywood. He said, Hollywood's like a really cool party happening in a castle with no doors. And you're walking around the castle and you're trying to find the door and you're feeling the stone and you're, you can't quite figure it out. And then one day you stumble upon a crack and the crack's just large enough for you to slip through. And when you get through and you're on the other side, everyone in the party is like, hey, you're here. You finally made it. Where have you been? And you're like, well, I would have been here sooner if you put in the door. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's what it is. Everyone, once you're in it, everyone's like, oh, we knew you were going to be it. We knew you were going to be famous. Oh, we, we, we just knew. And it's like, well, where were you when, when, when I need to get there? Right. You weren't there throughout the struggle. You didn't yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. I love this conversation. And as you know, like, I love talking and learning about other disabilities because like, you know, I know just my own is, is so right. rare, but just like, just like my scleroderma, I know other illnesses are rare. So I love bringing them to a very platform. Yeah. Oh, no. It's, and I'm, you're, I'm glad you're doing this. It's a wonderful podcast to do. And um, your work is really wonderful. I'm glad that you've had me on. And I, I like how you create an environment that is very welcoming. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you so much, Joe. Well, this was wonderful and I cannot wait to see your future projects. Um, please send me a link to your Criminal Minds episode because I'm a huge fan of Criminal Minds. Absolutely. I really had an, a very exciting and interesting, informative conversation. Any final words? By being open about your own story, you're allowing others to open up about themselves. Well, thank you so much, Joe. It was a, such a you're pleasure so talking to you and I yeah, cannot I wait for... And I cannot wait for future collaborations. All right. Sounds great. Thank you for having me.